Welcome to Crossroads, the podcast where we review new and old movies with similar themes and tones. I'm Rob, and this is Ryan. This week, we will be talking about 2020's The Invisible Man and comparing it to 1933's The Invisible Man. Take it away, Ryan. All right, so we're going to start with the, the new film, written and directed by Lee Winnell, based on the book by H.G. Wells. It stars Elizabeth Moss, Oliver Jackson Cohen, Aldous Hodge, Storm Reed, Harriet Dyer, and Michael Dorman. This is a... It's a really good thriller. I wouldn't necessarily call it a horror movie. It starts it's, as a horror and then oh, slowly becomes a, a yeah. sci-fi thriller. It's like a, almost like a cyber thriller a little bit. It, it adheres to something I heard someone refer to this week as Wells Law, which is you take the very mundane world, the world that we live in now, and then you add one fantastic thing to it, which is the invisibility that he has. I think that is what makes the film work, is that... If he wasn't invisible, it would still follow mostly the same plot. Wouldn't be a hundred percent correct, a hundred percent the same, but it'd be very similar. I've never heard of the Wells Law, and I, I like that. It's it keeps it simple while recognizable. Yeah, it allows you to identify with the characters, to understand kind of what they're going through. I think that's one of the ways the movie really succeeds is that you're really in it with Elizabeth Moss the entire time. It really puts you in her shoes. Absolutely. Like for at least the first half of the movie, you're with her. Like, is she really seeing this invisible man or is she? does she have a mental disorder? Because yeah. she went through a lot of trauma oh, with yeah. uh, Adrian, her boyfriend. And it really, from the start, you could see it just really takes a toll on her mental and physical state oh, yeah. and as the movie goes on she begins to question her sanity everybody around her questions her sanity and the audience questions her sanity can we trust this narrator yeah because you don't know for sure she starts looking more and more disheveled she's not afraid to look kind of sick for some of it i mean probably just like you know, exhausted she looks almost dirty in some scenes and it's it really kind of lets you sympathize with her that first sequence when she wakes up and she leaves him is brilliant. You don't know anything about these people, and all of a sudden you're on her side. She's in the middle of this heist almost. She needs to get out of this place. She has plans in place. It's great. I don't even think they speak dialogue for at least 12 yeah. to 15 Aside minutes. Aside from so. her saying his name to see if he's awake, there's no other dialogue for a while. So I think not until she sees the dog. And she's like, I can't leave you here with him. That whole opening sequence, even the opening titles, I thought were brilliant. Yeah. The was... opening titles are a wide shot of the the water crashing over this rock and it says you can't see any of the titles but as the water hits it it drips down into the credits like universal presents and then the water drips away the invisible man and it lingers and it just leaves this haunting feeling that sticks with you throughout the whole movie absolutely there's a, a few there's a few sequences like that where the camera will just linger on something and it really adds to this sense of foreboding you like some of them some of the shots you don't realize like what's going on that's bad framing oh wait no it's not bad framing you just can't see what's being framed i think this is the only movie that gets away with bad framing yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> there's a couple thing a couple takes even in that first scene where they set it up where the camera will just pivot it'll just slowly pivot like on a tripod or something to to an empty hallway or something that's even before she starts to suspect that yeah. he's invisible and that's i think having it there that early integrating that into the the language of the film is the best decision they could have made like watching it on a first view it's like okay they're they're setting up for 
a jump scare they're yeah. setting up for this Invisible Man to finally make his appearance. And I, I've only seen it the first time, but I imagine on a, a second watch, you're going to notice more things going on in the background. There's a few sequences before he, you even know that he's around that the, the framing is a little interesting. Uh, there's a couple really long takes uh, when she ends up at James's house. He's basically there to make her feel safe, but Adrian is still around in a bunch of those scenes. Even though you can't see him, the framing kind of indicates, oh wait, maybe he is there after all. A lot of those the shots in the house are kind of wide and far. Yeah. Where the, for example, when she thanks them for um, taking her mm-hmm. in, and it kind of zooms back, and yeah. they're in the center of the frame, it makes you think that Adrian could be yeah. anywhere it, in that shot. I thought that was a POV shot. Like, that was him looking in on them. You know? It could have been. Was <laughs> yeah. that... There was a shot. It was kind of like around a corner. Yeah. Was that that same shot? I think so. Yeah, like, when they're because it's in the the kitchen and they're in the living room mm-hmm. and they they just got the whole scene with the ladder and how she's going to set up, uh, Sydney I think Sydney, Sydney yes. with a basically like a the college to go to college. Yeah, that was that was a great scene. That was a, yeah. The movie is not afraid to be funny. It mm-hmm. has a, a few moments that are really clever and really funny. It makes you care about these characters. It's not like the movies from the mid like early to mid 2010s where everything's a joke yeah like there was a good five six year period where every movie was just a joke everything was funny even the horror movies were just funny and it was not great i did not like it this it's mostly intense there's a few moments that are that are funny and they're genuinely funny it's not forced humor at least it wasn't to me i thought it was really nice I, what'd you think of the pacing? I thought it was pretty brisk. It yeah. starts right into it. It doesn't really doll apart from setting up the characters, and yeah. then it just gets right back into the terror. And even then, it's it always felt like it was in service of something. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't feel rushed. I mean, it's a it's a long movie. It's over two. It's a little over two hours. I don't think anything was wasted. I think everything was there for a reason. Everything made sense in what was going on. You maybe could have lost 30 seconds here or there, but it wouldn't make a significant difference. I would honestly love to see it longer. Yeah, I think there's probably some stuff that was cut that would make it. There was a lot of stuff in the trailer they cut out, too. Well, some of the stuff they never meant to put in. Mm -hmm. That was Lee Winnell trying to get people to come to the movie and then do something else and show other things. I think uh, there's a a sequence uh, in in Sydney's room where uh, Cecilia is staying where you see like the, the butt imprint where you think he's sitting on the chair. So she throws the, the blanket over him, which is a reference to the original, which we'll get to. In the trailer, that lands on him. So you're expecting that to happen, and in the movie, it doesn't. And I think that was really cool because I was expecting, oh, okay, that's where he is. Oh, wait, no, he's not there. Okay, yeah. is she crazy? No, but she's not. Okay, cool. As uh, somebody who tries to avoid trailers, I couldn't help but see this one before a bunch of movies I saw. Yeah. And the trailer does a good job of making you think you saw the whole movie. Yeah. And but really, totally every, wrong. everything in that trailer happens within the first one half of that movie. Oh, yeah. And it goes off in totally different directions. It's it's really clever that way. Yeah, it, it toys with your expectations. Because oh, everyone's yeah. so intent on like watching the trailer. Oh, this looks good. Oh, you saw the whole movie. You probably won't see that. But this does a good job of subverting your expectations. Oh, yeah. It's really well handled. And I got to say, this movie really blew me away. I was really I, impressed. I was not expecting much. Like I said, the trailer, I felt like I saw the whole movie. Yeah. And I, I heard it was good 
two days before it came out. And, you know, we were planning on seeing it anyway for yeah. the show. So it just made me really excited to go see it. Yeah. And I'm really glad it was good. I honestly hope they keep doing these dark universe movies, but not connected to each other. Yeah. I would love to see an updated Frankenstein, an updated Dracula. Yeah. I mean, you can make it a little bit more grounded. Like, this is not... This is like a Dark Knight type movie where technology is plausible, but not yet available. But the movie still works because other than that it's very grounded it's possible in less than 10 years from now yeah yeah you could yeah there's similar things that are in effect and i think that's what makes the film brilliant is that he is a genius in it so he's ahead of everyone else and it could have been about that but to have him be realistically flawed and terrible we haven't even gotten into like how much he messed with his brother or how much he messed with her sister who are also important supporting characters it was a really really good movie that i highly recommend people see i don't know if i want necessarily want a sequel to it but i certainly would go see one if one came out if it had the same cast and yeah. crew if lee winnell was involved or even if he was on as a producer i might i might see it then again he was a producer on the later soft films and those are all garbage i think anything after three is pretty bad i liked four Everything after four, I hated. There's moments in six that are good, but they're they're as subtle as if Jack hammered the back of the. Or it's really just the, the opening head. scene of six. Yeah, like. yeah. But I agree. I don't want a sequel, but if there was one, I'd go see it. Mm-hmm. So I rate this highly, but I think it works very well as a standalone for sure. Yeah. All right, so we're in agreement on that. Yeah. Let's move on to the original Invisible Man from 1933, directed by James Whale also did frankenstein bride of frankenstein this is a more direct adaptation of the book it really follows the plot of the book pretty closely with a few major deviations i did not read the book i really wanted to before the show i have not completely finished it i'm most of the way through it's it's a pretty quick read if you have the time but it's uh the language is a little tough so or not tough but but old yeah it's from 1897 yeah and what's crazy here is that he wrote that when he was fairly young. So H.G. Wells was still alive and working when the movie came out. So he saw it. He commented on it. Did he, he like it? He didn't like all of it. He liked a lot of the supporting cast, like the funnier characters he seemed to like more. He now, mm-hmm. one of my issues with this movie is I can't tell if it's supposed to be a horror or a comedy. It's kind of in between. Because it, I always see it... it this was my first time watching it, and I always see it in the Universal Monsters collection. So I went in expecting a horror film, and it was not scary. Yeah. Well, it's James Whale who directed it, was openly gay, which was interesting for the time. That would, didn't really happen. At least we wouldn't really think of it that way. And he had a love of camp. So well, he liked to make a good scary movie. He also liked to be a little silly about it. And I think the camp side comes out a lot. Like when I was watching it, I, just, I, I think I put it on Facebook like, if this was not a favorite of the Monty Python crew, I would be surprised because there's a bunch of silly things that Monty Python seems to like, like Officer Kemp or I don't know who's Officer, whatever the police officer who even goes like, well, what's all this when you go up to him? It's but, very overacted. <laughs> yes. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hall, who are a little silly, and she sounds very much like the... Uh, She's wailing the whole time. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I almost turned it off after 20 yeah. minutes. She just would not stop screaming. Yeah, and that's... And it doesn't help that the microphones they had really were not meant for that. So it kind of overloads the sound. And it's a, it can be a little frustrating. 
the film though i think it doesn't not telling anywhere near as grand a story as this guy shows up he starts going a little loopy and tries to turn himself back visible pisses off the town and they shoot him like it's not a it's not a big epic story the movie's barely an hour long it's an hour and 10 minutes basically it's a very quick film but like he's i can't tell if he's supposed to be a villain or scary he's he's honestly just an asshole yeah like basically yeah he the he's staying at the inn for an extended period and he's late on his rent and they're trying to kick him out or get the money and he's yelling at the the innkeepers he's throwing plates at him he's just being a dick just being a dick he walks out of the bar and starts like fucking with the drunks and then the cops show up he's being a dick to the cops he's a dick to his friend he's just an asshole honestly like stay invisible nobody wants to see you (laughs) in the book he's a little different like he he seems like he was always kind of a dick in whereas in the movie it feels like he wasn't always and either the the chemicals have made him invisible or just being isolated has made him into more of a dick in the book he's he was pretty awful to begin with one good thing about this movie that i really like that first shot when he unravels his face it's it's tense there's some great effects that i think really still hold up some of them don't <laughs> but the the practical effects well is the whole movie practical uh, for back they, then? they used some amount of optical effects which i'd like to talk about it for a moment if you don't yeah mind. yeah go for uh, it i would love to hear yeah, about that there's um a predecessor to blue screen called uh traveling matt so he, when he would be in bandages for the one scene where he takes the bandages off and you can see the wall behind him from certain shots he would be uh, shot against a black background with the modern, with the then modern camera, and he'd have like black velvet on his head. So he had like a, like a thing on his head, and he wrapped the bandages around that. So you'd take the bandages off. The camera couldn't tell the difference between the background and him, or the background and the, the black. Oh, so the the suit he was wearing would match yeah. the back. Would match the background. So you could you could just basically uh, optically print that onto another thing. So it's almost like blue screening someone in, sort of like a reverse of that. Basically, it's. It's really fascinating yeah, it's pretty, for uh, 1933. Oh, yeah. It's pretty clever stuff. Even, um, I mean, they were still using that up until the 50s or 60s. They've been using that since, like, the like 1915. The film's a lot older than people remember. The film was, the, the people were making films in the 1890s. Yeah, uh, one of the first, the first movie, The Train. The yeah. Train, I forget the exact name, The Train comes the into the station. Oh, no, yeah, The Great Train Robbery, maybe? No, it, it, it's literally okay. just a shot of a train going into the station. That's the first recorded thing. People freaked out, too. They jumped they did. out of the they way. Thought, they thought the train was coming right for them. So, yeah, films, it's, it's over 100 yeah. years old now, and we kind of take it for granted. Yeah, and you'll notice as you watch this that pronunciation is a little weird. They don't say invisible man. They say invisible men, like almost with an E sound. And that's because there, at the time there was still this heavy transatlantic accent that came over from radio. A lot of people in films were in radio. They they didn't. They some of them, a lot of them were stage actors too. A lot of them were in radio, and the radio equipment couldn't pick up a lot of different sounds. You have to kind of alter how you pronounce things. It became more British in a lot of ways, but also the Brits adopting some Americanisms became this transatlantic thing. Even though most actors in this film are British, they're still using that weird transatlantic thing. So he says Beck, not back. Like there must be a way to get Beck. It's really interesting. It's, it's real. You know, I, I didn't even notice that yeah. on my watch through, but yeah, I watch a lot of old movies. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get more into old movies. I watch yeah. a lot of like 70s and 80s yeah. movies, but not a whole lot of 30s and 40s. Yeah. And there's 
I, mean, I can go on about this all the time, but there's this, uh, this film had only really been around for a little while and like longer films, especially films with sound were really new. Movies didn't have sound like even five years before this. They were just starting to be the thing. So we hadn't really nailed down like cinematic language yet, which is why when it cuts to someone, they might be in a different part of the room because they needed to get the framing right. And it's like, well, that's not worth oh, Okay, whatever. Cool. Audiences were also less critical back then. Oh, absolutely. Like nowadays, everyone's a critic. Yeah. And everyone judges everything. Everyone nitpicks everything yeah. just to be like, oh, did you notice that? But yeah. back then, like movies yeah. didn't have home releases. No. They, they played like stage plays. You go yeah. see it at the theater for a week. If it made money, maybe two weeks. Yeah, and it would never then be it, seen it again. It was gone. And you'd also, you could walk in and you could just go into the film. And you could walk in at any point in time and leave at any point in time. They'd play something else. They'd play the same film again. It was a very social thing. You weren't really there for the movie. You were there for your for your friends or for, you know, whatever's going on. Like, I think in the miniseries It, they kind of go into that sort of a thing. It's very subtle. You're not going to notice if you don't know what you're looking for, but they walk in the middle of the movie and they leave in the middle of the movie and that was just what you did. That's when they're watching The Mummy, right? Yeah. The original Mummy. Yeah. That's just how, even at this point, films work. You just go there for with your friends, whatever. Yeah, that stopped being a thing. Like, got to be, what, 60s, 70s? with Psycho, basically. That's yeah. when it stopped? Around when it stopped. Oh, yeah, because Hitchcock said once you... Yeah. You can't, once it starts, you're not going in. Yeah, you can't get in after like 20 minutes in or whatever. And I think it was even once the credits were done. Yeah, because the film, if you knew going in that she's only in the movie for like 10 minutes or 20 minutes, it you would, would ruin the whole oh, oh, scare absolutely, tactic. yeah. And there's, uh, one of, this is pre-Hays Code. There's just like a quick rundown. The Hays Code was like the, the early predecessor to the rating system because at the beginning, films were not rated. They were... You could just go into a movie, and some of them were really risque. There were there was nudity, there was violence, there was sexuality, there was all kinds of stuff that, you know, you didn't want your kids exposed to. So the government basically said, police this, or we're going to do it for you. So the head of the, what is now the MPAA, who I think was named William Harrison Hayes, uh, let, basically started writing a bunch of rules that they called the Hayes Code. And very simply, you know, the villains have to be punished. You, you can't be seen getting away with something bad, like down to some really crappy stuff. Like you can't have inter, uh, interracial relationships, things like, uh, things that were taboo in the thirties. Yeah, you couldn't show any sexuality up to, including being pregnant because that meant you had sex. It's, it's real weird. It's real strict, very strict. Yeah. And this, this film was made when the code was written, but hadn't really been enforced yet. So that's why it still gets a lot of violence. I mean, he crashes a train. He kills 100 people on a train. It's it's one of the last code, one of the last films released before the code went into effect. It didn't come out in effect until the late 60s. So mm. it was, that's why a lot of movies are overly saccharine and really kind of ridiculous. I had no idea about yeah. that. It's, um. uh, it, it's fascinating stuff. Man. In a very dry way. <laughs> I love old movies. I really yeah. need to watch more old movies and oh, yeah. learn more about old movies. The ones that stood the, te stood the test of time had done so for a reason. There's plenty of garbage as well. Mm -hmm. but yeah, the ones I've seen yeah. I thought were fantastic. Yeah. I've really only seen the monster movies and yeah. maybe like, what year was Gone with the Wind? Was that 40s? I was 42 maybe. Yeah. That's kind maybe, of... Uh, oh, be, Charlie Chaplin. I've seen all oh, yeah. of Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin is, Chaplin's a genius. Oh, yeah. brilliant filmmaker 
the film is fairly short. I think there's more to say about the making of the film than the film itself. Yeah, the movie's very basic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially any modern audience has seen this story before. Mm -hmm. Maybe not exactly this way, but the effects are pretty cool. There's some moments that are, oh, that's just glasses on a string. Or that's just, you know. That's just a bike being pulled by a string. But honestly, if it weren't for the special effects, I probably would just write this movie off as another shitty sci-fi flick. But the the special effects, especially for 1933, are really impressive. Yeah. And I'm glad you taught me about it because yeah. I definitely did not know before there's a, there's before that, this recording. There's that awkward thing where like he's just walking around naked because it's because he like, can't wear he, he can't, can't wear clothes. Yeah, because people know where he is, and he mentions they don't actually show it, but they mention it that because I don't think they show it that he if can't he eat eats, food. Yeah, because he'll be in his stomach for a little while. And it's like, well, that's. That's a little too much. So you're walking around naked and you can see, like, how are you, like, this seems like this power sucks. <laughs> like, it's not worth having. No. What'd you think of the reasoning for him being invisible? Which the fact that he just drank a bunch of chemicals and injected stuff? He or... injected the the bug serum. Yeah. Like every day for 30 days or something. something like and that. drank a, like, I mean, there's a bunch it's... of gobbledygook to make the plot work. It works just fine, but yeah, it's not it's, like. It's just. Yeah. I don't even know the word for it. It's, it's just a plot device. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just a way to make the plot work. It's not anything to, you know, to really scrutinize because there's nothing to scrutinize. So Invisible Man 1933, what would you rate it? I would rate it a thing to see if you're curious. It's by no, by no means necessary viewing, but if you're into old movies or you just like a goofy, goofy little romp, it's it'll suit you there. I agree. This is... I would say this is a must-watch for any film studies major, film yeah. wannabe film historian. Anyone who's really into film and special effects really needs to watch this movie. Yeah. Because I think without this, we probably would have gotten green screen way later. Oh, yeah. I mean, green, this technology existed, but it wasn't really shown what it could do until... Because mostly it was used to like put people in front of other backgrounds. But to have someone disappear, it's pretty brilliant. It's unheard of for yeah. 1933. The effects, I think, by and large, do hold up. There's some cheesiness but like yeah watching it on a 4k tv you can really see like the outline of his suit but you know you you write that off as a product of of its time also i i believe it's in the public domain so you can probably find it online i think you're right yeah because it's old enough that that may have happened so because i watched it online so hopefully i found a good legal copy it's it's fun it's not gonna change your life but it's it's a nice, fun little little romp. So that's the end of this week's episode. Join us next week while we talk about Labyrinth, starring David Bowie and Disney Pixar's new film, Onward. <laughs> if, if you don't want to be spoiled on this movie, skip ahead five minutes yeah so adrian pretends to kill himself did not kill himself is running around in his invisibility suit with the science of which is fairly close to things we have now obviously you can't walk around it's not sleek it's not quiet requires a ton of energy you can't really move in the thing but we have technology similar to what he's doing what did you think of the suit i thought it was a good MacGuffin. like it I didn't have to think about it too much. I just knew it made him invisible. It obviously is not 
impenetrable like she stabs him with the pen and then it starts malfunctioning which makes total sense those effects were really cool he became like staticky half yeah. like half staticky as he walked that was really cool that but was, yeah it was a lot I, of fun. I thought the suit itself was kind of goofy honestly like when they first revealed yeah. it it was a little goofy but you know you once you get used to seeing him walking in it yeah it's less goofy but I almost would have preferred if he was actually invisible. Yeah. But I know why they did it. They did it to update it for a 21st yeah. century and film. We'll get into some yeah. of the other problems with invisibility in the original that are oh my God. a little awkward. But yeah, it's uh, it's really well done. That whole action sequence in the when she's escaping the hospital is very cool. That was one shot. That was really cool. Yes, yeah, there were a couple of really great one one takes. That must have taken a bunch of shots put together but there's oh, some course. pretty brilliant stuff but in that if you've seen upgrade you know that lee's really good at yeah. shooting action films yeah and that i'm not saying this was training upgrade was training for this because they're very different films this other than that one hallway scene there's almost no action in this movie there's but yeah there's there's a little bit when she, when in the kitchen yeah when the but, kitchen is a little bit in the, oh that, that's a great fight too oh, i when, love that scene yeah. that's another one shot fight scene yeah and I didn't even notice it was one shot, but yeah. And when she takes the plates and she's smashing them against nothing, and mm-hmm. it doesn't look like a bunch of digital fakery, that was really cool. It felt visceral, and she was alone during that, which makes sense because he only would go after her physically when she's alone. Other than that, he wants to torment her. He wants to gaslight her, get people, like isolate her, get people away. It's pretty brilliant. I like also that they never specified exactly what he did. You know he's awful, but you, you can kind of put on to that what you think happened. I mean, she vaguely talks about it at the start, but like yeah. it, it never goes into specifics, yeah. which I do like. it. You can make him as bad as you want in your head. Yeah. It kind of adds into the theme, like what you can't see is more terrifying than what you can see. Oh, absolutely. And the last, the last sequence, when he's kind of out of the suit, and he's pretending that everything's okay, and that's like... Oliver Jackson Cohen, who plays Adrian, has one of the like just the most charming smiles. He just looks very charming, which is my one problem with Hill House, that Haunting of Hill House that he's also in. He just looks too healthy to be a drug addict. That's where he's from. I yeah. couldn't I couldn't I knew I saw him somewhere. Yeah, he plays Luke. He's a little too yeah. fit and healthy to be a drug addict. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but his performance is really good. Also watch that, guys. I Definitely that. watch that show. It's really good. What do you think of the ending? I really liked the ending because I feel like it could go in one of two ways. I choose to think of it that she's making a couple things up. Like maybe it was a little more codependent. Like he, like she also kind of abused him a little bit. But you could also take it like she's kind of taking on traits of him that, needed, like, that she had to escape. She had to get stronger. Or there's other ways you could probably take, interpret it as well. I really thought it was great. I didn't love it at first, but thinking on it, I'm like, this is actually really brilliant. I I kind of agree with you on that. I think it was more that he beat her down emotionally and at the end when she kills him that it's really her overcoming him and that but then that also drags her down to his level. So now that she has the suit, yeah. if, if we see a sequel, I don't know if I'd want to see her as a villain, but she's kind of in that route. Yeah, I'd like to see maybe like a do you know that there is an Invisible Woman film that's in pre-production? It doesn't star Elizabeth Moss. Uh, I think Elizabeth Banks is attached to it. So it's going to be a, a comedy. comedy. Probably, which I'm not crazy about. But who knows? This was originally supposed to be a Johnny Depp vehicle, and it was supposed mm-hmm. to be in that whole dark universe nonsense. Did it's you a, see The Mummy? Uh, not when it came out. I did see it eventually. It's 
bad. It's horrible. I went opening night because, you know, I love bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> that was too bad. Yeah, I mean, I like the Brendan Fraser ones. I, They're great. They're yeah. campy 90s action yeah, The flick. first two. The third one, the less said the better. I didn't see the third one. Don't. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> I actually went to see that in theaters, and thankfully the projector was broken. <laughs> <laughs> actually, in going to a miserable mound, the projector was not working. They had said they put a new bulb in it. It hadn't come up. And there's starting to be some sound effects. I'm like, oh, is this the whole movie? Just the Invisible movie? Oh, man, that's great. It's very meta. Yes. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, someone in a row in front of me went over to complain. I'm assuming went up to the front to complain, and then they put the movie back on. So it was, it was. I, th- I thought it was really funny. Uh, there was, I was talking with a friend of mine who's a pharmacist, and I, I had to ask when we were done if diazepam was a real thing and if it was what the movie said it was yeah that's exactly what it's like a tranquilizer oh, nice. that you would take to kind of calm yourself down mm-hmm. and in larger doses can make you sleep which makes total sense how it becomes kind of a MacGuffin when he leaves it in the house to fuck with her make, make her think she's going crazy 